of Jeff Carter at center? All right, that's a dumb question. What would you think about Jeff Carter moving from center? Hmm, that's a little different, isn't it? Good morning to you. Good Tuesday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports. This is Daily Shot of Penguins. Comes your way bright and early every weekday morning if you're into football and or baseball. I offer up daily shots of Steelers and Pirates right where you found this. As soon as Ron Hextall completed the trade with the Kings, he'd made it clear that the goal was for Carter to be a center while offering all the obligatory, you know, we leave that stuff up to the head coach, et cetera, et cetera. And Carter was tried at center, and Carter never moved from center because he was really, really productive there, to say the least. One of the most productive post-trade surges in franchise history. And it went right through the final game of the playoffs. So why, why would anyone conceive of moving him when he clearly was such a terrific fit right where he was? Well, humor me on this one. First of all, Carter's got a ton of experience on the right wing. Uh, throughout his career, going all the way back to Philadelphia, he's been a guy who's bounced back and forth between center and the wing. Uh, he's always been way more of a shooter than a playmaker, which has made him an unconventional center anyway. The value that he brings up the middle is with his size, his presence, really good on the draws. And he's capable of making a pass or two. I don't mean to make him sound like, you know, he's playing with blinders out there. The guy's just a tremendous hockey player. But, but, what if he were moved up to Sidney Crosby's right wing? Just think about it. Just think about it. Don't, you know, don't dismiss it out of hand. Don't make up your mind immediately. But if you put Carter on Sid's flank immediately, that line gets two things that I think we all can agree that it needs. One, bigger. Duh. Two, a shooter. A finisher. Someone who's not just, you know, waiting for the... Uh, you know, the beautiful tap-in or getting shoved out of the way or, or boxed out as easily as we've seen at times. I'm not criticizing, believe me, Brian Ruster, Jake Gensel here. These are two outstanding hockey players, outstanding citizens. And when they're on their game, when that whole line is going, they do find ways to get bodies through the low slot and even right there in the crease. No one can make them grow at this stage of their lives. No one can uh, make them have the shoot-first mindset that's been part of Carter's game pretty much since he rolled out of the womb. To me, if you put Carter on that line, that makes 
both Sid and Jake, but especially Jake, a little bit bigger. You know, the line just has a different feel to it. I think we never seen them together. I mean, I shouldn't say that. There was there was a a brief spell there where 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 Carter was slid up to the top unit, but that you know wasn't anything that you could look at and say, hey, let's see how that went. I I like this, but not just for what it could do for that line. This portion of Daily Shot of Penguins is brought to you by Fubo TV. Monthly cost of cables over two hundred bucks. Fubo TV is just sixty five bucks a month to watch all the same channels, including AT and T, Sportsnet, Pittsburgh. Fubo TV right now is offering our listeners of this podcast both a seven day free trial and fifteen percent off your first month. Visit fubotv.com/dk. Again, that's fubotv.com/dk. Here's another possible benefit to it. If Carter slides up to your wing, whether that's you know alongside Sid, and I don't mean to you know dismissive Genny Malkin as if he doesn't exist, but you know Malkin and Kasperi Kapanen seem to have a thing going there, so I, I'm not sure I'd mess with that. But if you move Carter up there, you're now offering another opening in your lineup for another center who I really, really want to get involved next season. And you're going to be hearing a lot of this from me this summer and into the fall, and that's Radim Zahorna. I I, I really feel like Zahorna performed immediately like someone who doesn't need a whole heck of a lot more seasoning, if any, in the minors. And even though he doesn't necessarily play big, this is a big kid. You know, you're, you're talking about somebody who's six and a half feet tall and has the skill and the speed to not make that look awkward. And, and that's not something with this organization the way it is right now, needing youth, needing freshness. That's not something I'm inclined to leave sitting in Wilkesbury. Now, there's a lot of presumptions in this scenario that I'm describing, and I can almost hear you echoing them back to me as I'm saying them. Well, what about the expansion draft? Uh, does that mean you're going to leave Teddy Bluger unprotected? I don't know. I sure don't want to lose Teddy Bluger. Uh, if you have four centers who are Crosby, Malkin, Zahorna, and Bluger, I would think you're okay. You know, um, if Carter is still in this in this mix where he can become a variable, then you take care of those inevitable games that you're going to lose to either Sid or Gino being out. And they will miss games. Now you have somebody who can just slide over there. But uh, what I'm getting into here is is a is a game one type map. If you think about the way the Penguins entered these past playoffs, they were finally able to get everybody, eh, almost everybody, uh, healthy or at least as close to healthy as is reasonable following a regular season. That that lineup right there, the game one lineup, is what I'm thinking about. 
And while we can listen to Ron Hextall say, you know, I'm going to try to make the team bigger. I'm going to try to do this and that. And Brian Burke has echoed that. Uh, it's not easy. You know, these players aren't everywhere, you know, and, and there aren't many Jeff Carters. Really, if you want to get right down to calling it that, Jeff Carter is a is a big NHL experienced, productive power forward who other teams generally don't mess with, even though he's not seen by anybody really as like, you know, your classic tough guy or whatever. Teams don't mess with him. You didn't see the Islanders messing with him, did you? No. Who were they messing with? They were messing with Jake. They were pummeling Jake left and right. This is, it's just something to�����������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������
you know, one of those little rabbit punches to the back of the head gets somebody a sprained neck. They lose some sleep. The next night, they show up for game six, and they're not themselves. All of these little things add up. Did you see the exchange the other night in Montreal between Shea Weber and, and Tomasz Nosek? This was, this was embarrassing. Nosek buried Weber from behind into the glass. Weber gets up, goes after him, punches him in the back of the head, cross-checks him in the back. Nosek gets up, slashes Weber. All of this occurs in full view of the referees. Not one call was made. You've just decided as an official that you are out. That absolutely benefits Montreal. When I say that something benefits a team, please understand that I'm almost never in any sport accusing officials of favoritism uh, toward one team or the other or hating one team. That's, uh, pardon how blunt this comes across, but that's fan stuff. That Fans think stuff like that. Ah, they hate the Penguins. They just hate the Penguins or they hate uh, our guys. It, it's... It, Officials don't think like that. They're not wired that way. There might be certain players that they can't stand. There might be certain coaches that they can't stand in isolation. But you don't make it to that level of officiating by playing favorites between teams. You don't care who wins. If you're a bad ref, you're just a bad ref. And that's what I mean when I say that it benefits Montreal, it benefits New York. Because these teams don't have as much skill as their respective opponents. That's not an insult. That's something they'd tell you themselves. You think the Islanders think they have as much talent or depth as the Lightning do? No. The, the Islanders think they can win, should win? Sure, and they should. They've been a really good hockey team. The Canadians don't think anything of the kind regarding the Golden Knights either. They know exactly who they are. They know exactly what they are. They know that their most talented player happens to be the goaltender behind them. This is why officiating needs to take place all through a season, including the postseason, because this is the worst possible time to take the hockey sticks out of the best hockey player's hands. I'm not even getting into the fact that all the star players are eliminated. That happened pretty much in the first two rounds. Uh, to me, all of those teams, including the Penguins, for various reasons, had it coming. Penguins, of course, because of their goaltending. But the officiating needs to continue being officiating in the games that count the most. I can't believe I even have to say something like that. I appreciate the question, Joan. That's good stuff. I appreciate everybody listening to Daily Shot of Penguins, and we'll do another one tomorrow.